that's so powerful. That's so amazing. I just, I had so much fun with that last week. I just had to start with that again because now yeah, you're on edge. You think, ooh, I won't make any bad comments because the FBI could be listening. And they always are. But this isn't the FBI. This is the way it is. The official Bobby Galinsky podcast, episode 39. And it is Friday, the 18th of December. The year has waxed on and is waning into the end as we leave 2020 in our tracks. Like a pet that you couldn't tame at home, that you took in the car and took it out to the country, let it out of the car, threw a little bone for it. Go on, go on, fetch. Go on, go on. And then when it ran after the bone, you jumped in the car, drove away. Down the gravel road as that, that pet just chased after the car and chased, chased and chased till it gave up. And you knew you didn't have to feed it anymore. And it knew you didn't want it anymore. What a somber way to start. Nah, just setting a tone. It was a somber year for many. This, I think, was a great year in so many ways. In the middle of the year, I thought it was a horrible year. Welcome to the show. This is a very free-form episode 39. We're going back to our roots tonight, today, this morning, wherever you are. Um, buongiorno, buongiorno, buonasera, wherever you are around the globe. And to our many new listeners, many new listeners, 186 new listeners this week from four new countries. We're going to go into that. And... Uh, there's just people, people all over the world are listening to the way it is, Bobby Galinsky podcast. Well, there's probably some people that have stopped listening to it too. Uh, that's just inevitable, as I've learned a lot this first year. This is my first year as a podcaster, as, as you know. I know to some of you tuning in, it goes, fuck, feels like he's been at it 30 years. Feels like Joe Rogan probably learned from him. And that could be true in a parallel world, but we're not in one and he didn't, and it's not. And I love Joe Rogan. But um, I have learned a lot. And uh, I, I look at the analytics, and I see who's listening. And, well, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know which one of you individually is listening, but it tells me numbers. So some of you have amazing furniture in your bedrooms that I can see. But, uh, uh, no, I just can see that consumption and some people listen in short bursts and some listen all the way through and some just listen a few minutes at a time. And there's some that just try it. They don't get far. I wish I could find out who they are and dox them um, or really find out why. Maybe they're interrupted. Maybe the phone rang. Maybe they were just in the car. Maybe they got to their destination. Maybe they didn't like me. I couldn't take that. They didn't like me. Because... I know I keep telling you every week, this show is for you. And it is. Because if I can give you information, if I can make you smile, if I can make you laugh, if I can make you emote and, and think, and think hard, and love deeply, and be grateful, and be angry at injustices, then that's really why I did it. But there's that other part. It's when, you know, I get a couple of good comments and feedback. 
And that really makes me feel good. So in that way, it's a bit selfish. I have done that for me a little bit, partially. So, you know, from time to time, I think, am I going to quit this podcast? And uh, I do think that from time to time. But um, overwhelmingly, I don't think I can. But I can. But I'm not going to. But if I do, I might let you know. But I hope to go for years. But it could end next week. We never know. We never know. 2020 has truly shown us we fucking don't know anything. We have no idea. We don't know what we don't know that we don't know. But um, I have come to the conclusion in the spa this morning. This morning, I had a massive workout at the gym. I mean, I was just on fire in the gym, lifting lifting and pulling and stretching and, you know, pressing and then swimming more laps than ever before, which is true. I'm not going to tell you how many, because if you're a real swimmer, you might think, well, that's not a lot. And if you're not a good swimmer, you might think, oh, I don't believe him. So either way, it's a, it's a, you know, it's like trying to find the exact vote count in the U.S. election. We're just never going to know. But I can tell you that I did hand on heart swim more laps than I've ever swam before. And I felt amazing. I was just on fire. I couldn't wait to get back here to the microphone. And I took a hot tub because the hot tub is now open again since we're woo-flu-free. No, no virus, no virus at Kuyong Club. We're going to spa. I'm going to spa now, but not sauna. No go into sauna. No go into hot room. With people, people close up, uh, scary. But you can go into the hot tub two people at a time. So I try and swim in obscure times <clears throat> when there's not other people there. So I can sit in the tiny bubbles, which is just so relaxing. And I do great thinking. A lot of people think in the shower. They think while they're driving um, or whenever they're doing something. You know, if I'm folding tea towels, one of the nine most unfun things in the world. Um, and we've talked about tea towels before. It's it's the Rubik's Cube of, of, of home. They can just never quite be figured out, not exactly how to fold them or where they go and what's the difference between, oh my God, oh my God, it's just too much pain. But when I'm folding or when I'm in the tub or I'm in the shower, I tend to think, but I had a lot of thoughts today. I just couldn't wait to get out and drive home and and just talk to you, to you people. And so here I am in my element. And uh, 2020 was a great year. I mean, you think of you think of the benefits. Everything has a silver lining. I was so pissed off when we were locked down. I was so angry at um, the premiere. I was so angry, just everything, angry at the Chinese government, still angry at the Chinese government. We're going to, we're going to get them and they're going to take away and they're not going to reopen. We're going to get the Chinese government, CCCP. This is the COVID Conspiracy Corporation Program podcast. I'm going to get them. But uh, think of all the good that came out of this. Think of all the people that were just on the fringe with their, their businesses and they made it through the other side or new businesses. I know many with new businesses and they're now flourishing and they know that they got loyal customers. Well, that's, you know, could it take them decades to do that? And you, you think about the downtown 
or the CBD, to say here. Um, we live outside of Melbourne, and they're talking about, and Melbourne's about 4 million people in the CBD, about 6 million in the metropolitan area, um, in the outlying suburbs. And the downtown, the CBD, has no office workers like, but now they're letting 25% of private office workers back to work, but no you know, public sector until next month. So if you've got a business and you're thinking, oh my God, all these years I've been thinking about, you know, re remote working and I've got a hundred employees or I've got a hundred thousand employees. doesn't matter whether you're like HP or Tesla or Apple or, you know, big, big bank insurance company. Suddenly now, you know, you know that your company can do just fine with your key employees working from home, either part-time or full-time. So think of the zillions of dollars that you're going to save on rent costs, building costs, transportation costs, um, travel for the salespeople because they can do Zoom, um, desk costs, paper costs, just, you know, you might you might save 75, 50 to 75%. I'm just pulling this out of my, uh, my hat on some certain overheads and costs. And yes, you might have diminished income and diminished productivity. But I think for some companies, not all, for some, it's going to be a watershed moment. And I, and I think that we won't even recognize downtown Melbourne or you're, you know, downtown San Francisco, Munich, London, Tunbridge Wells, Hong Kong, you know, Peoria, where Waukesha, wherever you live, your business center is going to be different because it's going to be a whole different culture that's in there. Now, if you own commercial property thinking, oh my God, all my tenants are going to leave me. Well, some of them are. So Who's going to be in those buildings that were office buildings? Will it be different kind of offices, different kind of companies? Will it be uh, more digital-based companies? Will it be, will they turn them into housing? Will it be public housing? Um, will it be flash housing? Will it be higher? Who knows? Um, it's just thinking of the oblique opportunity. Much of it good, in fact, at least half of it good, because the universe does love balance. So the old adage, every cloud has a silver lining, which is easy to say unless you've suffered through a huge tragedy, um, such as the uh, people who went to work had gone to work in the Twin Towers on 9-11. Well, you know, we lost 3,500 people. Um, but there was 16,000 jobs, 16,000 jobs created as a result of the Twin Towers going down from sanitation to identification to clearance to insurance to, um, I mean, it was literally, there's always a cloud in the silver lining. That never makes the excuse for the incident or the tragedy or the loss. But the universe loves balance. It always works itself out. Gravity is a fixture, but only here on Earth. It's not a gravity, every, not you know, a fixture everywhere in the solar system. And the sun rises in the east here and sets in the west. But uh, it might not on Io. Or it might not on Zethar. So, got to be open to the possibilities. And loss. And gain. Um, a lot of people lost, lost family this year. 
and it may have been Wu flu related, or they may have just lost them naturally and been unable to go visit them. Um, had a good friend who lost his mom. Uh, he's Melbourne based and his mom's in the UK. Couldn't, couldn't go to the funeral. So there's no discounting the loss. But as we come up to the, bu- the back of 2020 here, and a lot of people go, fuck 2020, God, where was gone? Well, that's a part of life. And there's going to be some equal brilliance that comes out of it. And uh, I'm very excited about it. I I am actually excited about 2020 because there's been some amazing education and some amazing gains and uh, um, some, some tragedy and some big disappointment. But um, all in all, I think we're going to see the balance here. Now, balance isn't everywhere at the same time. That's what keeps the earth spinning around and on its circumference. It's not a flat earth, but I'm open to people. I am open to anyone from the flat earth society to give me an argument. I am always open to any opposing viewpoint. And then, of course, I can discount it and I can say, no, I actually don't buy into that. Or I can say, thank you. Thank you for that information. You're fucking insane. No, I don't say that to too many people, but that's the thing that I must say has bothered me most of 2020 is people won't freely exchange ideas anymore. And I have been guilty of it myself. People will absolutely shut off an opposing viewpoint. They will shut off any other idea. There is no free exchange of ideas. And to me, that is the greatest loss. That is what has created so much division in the world, um, in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, the English-speaking company, uh, countries, um, English-speaking companies. Well, there's a Freudian slip because they're controlled by the world oblique George Soros, um, by the oligarchs. But no, English-speaking countries that um, are getting further and further apart. Everything is getting fractured. And it starts with language. It starts with ideas. It starts with ideas where people say, no, you can't say that. No, you can't teach that. No, you can't have that statue there. No, you can't have that book there. No, we can't have that speaker there. Um, Because, you know, he or she is offensive. Well, you know what? Offense is a good thing. Offense is a good thing. Um, it toughens you up. It's a tough world. It's a very tough world. We were watching a documentary on TV, um, might have been on the ABC, about Frank Lowy and the Lowy family. He's a prominent Jew here. I'm a Jew. I was interested. And most of you in Australia would know who Frank Lowy is. He is an an octopus. He's my octopus teacher. He's my octogenarian teacher. He's an octogenarian who um, came from Hungary after World War II, after the Holocaust. Uh, He went to Cyprus and uh, Israel. And then he came to Blacktown in Western Sydney. And he started a little butcher shop that uh, took on a partner. And that uh, became Westfield, Westfield, little shopping center, Westfield. It became the biggest, one of the biggest shopping center conglomerates on the planet, Westfield. 
which dominates Australia and is also um, in the UK and the US and uh, Europe. And he recently sold out. So the documentary was on his life. And it was absolutely fascinating. This little Jewish kid in Hungary, and the Nazis came in in the uh, 30s and 40s, as, as they did. They knocked and go, hey, we're the Nazis. Hey, hey, we're the Nazis. People say we're coming around. And No, that was a different show. That was the monkeys. But the Nazis came in, and one day his dad, I think he was eight years old, Frank Lowy, his dad went to work and didn't come back. And that happened to a lot of families, a lot of Jewish families in World War II. And he never knew what happened until, until, spoiler alert for those of you that haven't watched the doco or don't know, until he was in his 80s and one of his sons had encountered someone in the U.S. who knew who his father was and that and told him how his father had perished in Auschwitz, um, having been beaten to death by a guard. He had a package in his hand because when they rounded up the Jews, the gypsies, the, when they rounded everybody up, Germans, they divested you of everything that you had. And um, it was a small package in a Nazi guard. So put that down and put it down on the ground. And then his father, Frank Lowy's father, went to pick it up again. And uh, that cost him his life. The guard beat him to death right then and there. That package contained a talis, uh, talit, which is a, a prayer shawl that the Orthodox Jews wear. So that little package cost him his life. So Frank Lowy went through his whole life from like virtually 8 till 80, not knowing what happened to his dad always searching for his dad, and then through happenstance, through a universe. Um, and I do believe there is a God because he, it's hard to believe there's a God when you look at the Holocaust, but I do believe there is a God when you look at serendipity and his one of his sons, I forget which of the three, found out um, through someone else checking in a hotel under the same name, a relative, what had happened. So this kid, Frank Lowy, lost his dad um, at eight and never had him. So he suffered that. Whereas, you know, the strange coincidence of just a few days ago, there was a family that went to the Grampians here, which is um, some mountains. They're not big mountains, but they're mountains and gaps and valleys and stuff in Victoria. And there are big fences, big fences to keep idiots from climbing over them and falling to their death. And um, people think it's cool to climb over the fence and hang over the edge for selfies and Instagram and this and that. You can tell where this one's going, can't you? You don't have to be Nostradamus to know how this one's going to end. Um, and there was even a guy who did a complete backflip on the edge. I mean, the edge of the cliff um, for a video, which I must admit is very impressive, but would have been probably a bit safer in the studio. Well, lo and behold, lo and behold, um, a mother of two who climbed over the fence and possibly had a few drinks and tippy-toed to the edge 
fell to her death. And um, now, you're Frank Lowy. Your father disappears when you're eight. You've lost your father. You have no idea where he is. And you find the Nazis murdered him almost 80 years later. I guess it gives you some closure. But how do you deal with, with that loss? Or here, you've got some kids whose mom falls off a cliff in a stupid accident. You know, so is there a God? Um, does God have a sense of humor? Does God, um, you know, uh, does he uh, does he weigh and balance things? I thought like, you know, my son Chris passed away a year and a half ago at 40. I thought, wow, that's really unfair. I was very angry about that. I'm still angry about that. But I had a brother who passed away at eight before I was born. So my parents would have thought that was extremely unfair, but yet I never knew him. And if not for that, I probably wouldn't be here. So you wouldn't have a podcast. And um, so from time to time, I'd get angry about Chris and go, wow, there's got to be some way to even that out. Well, maybe that's what God did at the Grampians this uh, weekend, but I highly doubt it. Um, that's the just the speculation of balance in inequity in our lives. And um, that was something that will never be explained. I mean, I'd hate to be those kids thinking, what happened to mom? How did that possibly happen? So on that note of we never know what's going to happen in the next second, a tragedy that can happen, um, I think that we really have to be extremely grateful. If you're listening to this podcast, you're alive and I'm alive. And I'm very grateful to be alive here at the end of 2020 with um, so much amazement, hopefully, in front of us. And we also have to realize that everything is in context. The same answer in context can be completely different. Ask Frank Lowy, what happened to your father? Oh, I found out 80 years later he was beaten to death by the Nazis because he picked up a package he was told to leave on the ground. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, you have a certain feeling when you hear that. Now, those kids whose mom took a, took a flight at the Grampians, now they're in school. What happened to your mom? Well, over a railing and a guardrail and fell to her death. Wow. Double wow. No, it's not funny, but listen to both of those out of context. Two parents gone, but under ridiculously different circumstances. So the loss of the parent is still the same, but the context of what happened is the difference between how you react to it or how the kids react to it or a stranger react, reacts to it. No one's ever going to laugh at... Uh, Frank Lowy and say, oh, well, what's the moral of the story there? You know, obey the guard. Don't pick up the package. No, it doesn't work like that. See, that's, that's a joke that Jews can make. But uh, that would be verboten elsewhere. Anyway, I do have lots of hope and, um, and gratitude. But on the flip side of that, right now, as I am really upbeat, and I am really upbeat, New York City, 
is about to lock down. Could be weeks, could be months. And businesses that weren't decimated early in the year are going to be fucking annihilated now. And I could go into 106 reasons why, besides the COVID and the politics of that, but I'm not going to. I just feel really bad for them. England, England, um, the UK, just possibly about to be annihilated again, too, with all these, these lockdowns and stuff. And uh, I heard through um, LBC Radio, a great online radio station to listen to, you know, in World War One and World War Two, they sent, you know, their sons off to war to protect the country. And now all the prime minister wants is for people just to stay the fuck home a bit and not hug everyone. And maybe, probably, because it worked here in Australia under similar but yet different circumstances, if you just isolate a bit, you can get on, on top of these things. Anyway, but uh, I remember how angry I was six months ago about it, but we got through it. And I won't uh, revisit how it got out of control here because that's, that, that's past, past history. It was, um, but we got on top of it. And um, I know the rest of the world can too, but right now, I know you people listening, you people listening in Italy and France and London and New York and Los Angeles, where almost everyone I know in the industry has been locked down, can't, can't do anything. Um, it's, it's bleak, but I can tell you it's always darkest before the dawn, and that is one of the best sayings ever because it's true, and humans can get through anything. And maybe the vaccine will be a panacea for that, too. So stay the course. Stay the course. Now, you can see I've kind of gone meandering a bit. I've kind of gone old school, kind of like the first few episodes where I really didn't have chapters where, you know, today in history and what your podcast wearing and baking and drinking and stuff. And I might integrate these throughout the podcast here. Um, but I'm feeling a bit freeform. I'm feeling a bit revisiting the original walk through the Enchanted Forest from the very first few podcasts, where it just kind of went to see where it would go, just like a fairy tale, just like a story, except um, I don't want to end on a bleak note when this podcast ends. I want to end on uh, a high note. I want a happy ending. Um, no, 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 no. Not that kind of happy ending. Not that kind of Jeffrey Tubin online happy ending. Um you know what I mean, like a happy ending, like uh, a nice fairy tale. You know, a bit of adult content there. Daddy, what did you mean by happy ending? Um, that That's uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, Bill Clinton. Um, that, um, that That's a bit different. Go ask your mom. Oh, I, I did ask mom. She said to ask you. Uh, well, go read Bambi. Well, Bambi didn't have a happy ending. The mother died. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, oh, how about Hansel and Gretel? Oh, no, the, uh, you know, the uh, the Wicked Witch cooked up children. Oh, jeez, fuck. Uh, there's not a lot of happy endings in the world. This podcast always has a happy ending because we live in hope. We live in hope. Now, talking about that, and you know how I get down on politics. You know how I go crazy about politics sometime. Um, a longtime friend from my central high school in Sioux City, Iowa, actually posted on social media just recently, if Joe Biden gets in office, which it looks like he's likely to do, will you still keep fighting 
against the Democrats. And uh, I just kind of responded with, um, if the Republicans get in office, or if they don't and they get in office again in four or eight years, we will keep fighting against them. And I never got a reply. So it's always good to answer a question with a question. So I will answer that question. Um, as I said, I am so grateful for everything that's been given to me and things that I've earned and things that I've learned from mistakes. I love learning from mistakes. And speaking of positivity, completely off track, next week, not this week, but next week, the Christmas podcast, we have amazing, amazing positivity in an interview with legendary, award-winning, superstar, Australian mensch, charitable man, generous man, actor, um, an actor's actor, Order of Australia recipient, uh, Mr. Tony Bonner. So we've got him in a beautiful, exclusive interview next week. But getting back to gratitude and arguing and Democrats and things like that, it's not that I argue against the Democrats. It's that because I'm grateful and I love free speech, in fact, the University of Cambridge actually had to vote. They had to fucking vote last week in order to say that it's okay to have free speech on campus. What the world? Oh, is it okay to have free speech? No, 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 no. Let's just suppress free speech. The University of Cambridge, a bastion of education in free speech, um, actually had to take a vote. And it came out five to two. It wasn't exactly like seven to zero with the regents that, um, yes, they could allow any speaker on campus and they could have opposing viewpoints. And if it's something that could be characterized as hate speech, they'd revisit it. But hate speech is in the eye of the beholder. And it's good for the students. Whoa, what a, what a surprise. It's good for the students to hear opposing viewpoints and um, other, other areas and facets of humanity. Jeez. Now, that could be a bit dangerous for students to hear, you know, to be open-minded. Oh, they had to have a vote. Thank baby Jesus, Moses, Buddha, even, you know, whoever that that got through. But getting back to gratitude and Democrats, I don't fight against Democrats. I fight against things that I feel take away freedoms and are completely opposite and contrary to my values and moral hierarchy and my moral compass. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. It just means that I believe the opposite. So there's a lot of things from the left, the Democrats in the U.S., labor here in Australia and labor in the U.K. that I disagree with and don't like, but there are things that are okay. So I only fight against values or things that jeopardize what I think are the most important values from whatever party that might be. So a long answer to a short question, I will continue the fight for what I think is right. Now, why can't people work together? They can. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. And I have proof. I have an amazing article from one of my favorite pundits from the Boston Globe, Jeff Jacoby, uh, a regular contributor, whether he likes it or not, um, accredited, of course. And it's great because the Boston is such a left-wing, totally deranged part of uh, the U.S. politically. So it's great to see a bastion of light. Of course, he's white and he's Jewish and he's 
you know, like in his 50s. So, you know, white, white privilege, Jew, danger, whatever. But uh, no, highly respected in the industry. And he wrote an amazing article. Congress goes after forced labor and big business objects. And uh, he shares, it is rare in this polarized, that's an underestimation, polarized era for legislation of moral and commercial significance to attract substantial support across party lines. And a bill to fight slave labor in China is turning out to be a notable exception. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, try and say that after a few drinks, was introduced in March by Representative, Representative Jim McGovern, the Worcester Democrat, who chairs the House Rules Committee, and by Republican, see, Democrat and Republican, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. It would ban the importation of goods made in China's Xinjiang region, where more than 1.5 million Uyghur Muslims are imprisoned in a vast gulag of internment camps. Unless, unless companies can prove that the goods were not made with forced labor. It would also require U.S. corporations to publicly disclose their ties to any Chinese entity involved in human rights abuses in Xinjiang. And in September, yes, back in September, back when the only thing the media was reporting on was negative things on the president and avoiding anything negative on Vice President Joe Biden. Something we'll be talking about in a couple weeks, which doesn't amount to a fixed election, but amounts to an influenced election, which is something to discuss. But anyway, back in September, a nearly unanimous House passed the bill, 406 to 3. Now, this should have been the biggest news ever. 406 to 3. Uh, you know, that's everybody. That's every Democrat. That's every Republican. Uh, I'd like to know who the three that, that voted against it are. Um, and now it's before the Senate, where it also has massive support. The bill could soon be signed into law by either President Trump or probable successor, President-elect Joe Biden. Assuming, assuming big business doesn't succeed in crippling or killing it first. It was reported last Sunday that Nike, Coca-Cola, Apple, and other major corporations have been spending enormous sums to lobby Congress to weaken the McGovern-Rubio bill, claiming that they could, quote, wreak havoc on supply chains that are deeply embedded in China. Well, you know what? That is undoubtedly true. According to the Congressional Executive Commission on China, an independent federal agency that monitors Chinese human rights developments, American corporations that have manufacturing facilities in Xinjiang or that source raw materials from that province are tainted by forced labor. In fact, it's difficult for any company to have any commercial dealings in the province, the commission found, without benefiting from systemic enslavement, torture, human trafficking, mass detention, and extreme surveillance. This isn't just, you know, some people that are underpaid. In addition to Nike and Coca-Cola, the commission's list of companies suspected of using forced labor, either directly or indirectly, included Adidas, or Adidas, if you will, Calvin Klein, Campbell Soup, Costco, H&M, Patagonia, Kraft, Heinz, and Tommy Hilfiger. Now, of course, American 
Corporations don't openly endorse slave labor or excuse China's repression of Uyghur, Muslims, and other minorities. Many of them hide behind the convenient fig leaf that their Chinese operations are, oh, scrutinized. They're scrutinized by outside auditors for any complicity with any human rights atrocity. Koch, for example, told the New York Times that it strictly prohibits any type of forced labor in our supply chain and uses third-party auditors to keep tabs on its suppliers. Kraft Heinz likewise assured the Washington Post that its China operations have been approved by independent auditors. Well, you know what? Fuck that. That is such rubbish. Unbiased vetting of operations in China, which hands down, without question, unshakably, you cannot argue this. This is mega fact. China is the world's most Orwellian and intrusive police state, would be a fantasy. In its findings, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act calls such audits completely unreliable because the inability of witnesses to speak freely about working conditions, given government surveillance and coercion, and the incentive of government officials to conceal government-sponsored forced labor. In other words, translating this, people don't want to come out and say what happened, and they want to remain anonymous. So you really don't have auditors. It's like, oh, I have a source. I have a source. In fact, any attempts to come out were more likely to endanger workers and their families than to yield reliable evidence. No corporation with ties to China should be allowed to pretend it's unaware or unaffected or uninfected by the industrial-scale assault on human rights in Xinjiang, or indeed the rest of the country. The communist regime that rules China is one of the cruelest on the planet. They, I mean, they're right on a par with the Nazis during the Holocaust. Um, but they don't have as nice a uniforms. The Germans had the great uniforms, you know. I gotta, I gotta give it to the SS and stuff. Fuck, they had great uniforms, designed by Hugo Boss. In fact, the Germans had Excel spreadsheets and microwaves. I probably wouldn't be here to do this podcast. It's lucky they were on the cusp and not the leading edge of technology. But getting back to the Chinese, the communist regime that rules China is the cruelest. From its occupation of Tibet to its persecution of Christians, from its ruthless crushing of pro-democracy activism to systemic harvesting of organs from prisoners of conscience. China engages in crimes against humanity on a vast scale. Everyone used to say, oh, that's just an urban legend. You know, they don't harvest organs. Well, it's been proved thousands and thousands of times. Proved. Meaning there was evidence. Especially horrific is its savagery in Zhang Mass incarceration, torture, compelled violations of religious principles, involuntary abortions, sterilization, Family breakups, all in addition to forced labor, China is methodically eradicating its Uyghur Muslim minority. See, I stand up for Muslims. It's only the terrorists that I don't like. So, there you go. And you thought I was racist. Racist. He's racist. I stand up for what's right. A market economy, quote, can only work if its participants, producers and consumers alike, adhere to a moral framework, writes Shea Katari of John Hopkins University. During the Nazi era, by the way, you might 
not know, prominent U.S. corporations like Kodak, General Motors, IBM, oh, Coca-Cola again, and even the Associated Press collaborated with evil, turning a blind eye to the barbarities of the Nazi Third Reich in order to expand market share and make money. So prominent corporations today with factories or suppliers in Xinjiang are guilty of similar collaboration. It's all about the bucks. So those that provide the technology on which China's domestic totalitarian control network relies. It isn't within the power of the U.S. Congress to wipe out forced labor, in conclusion, in China, but Congress does have the power to make American firms choose, choose between publicly acknowledging that they benefit from Uyghur enslavement or finding other places to do business. Just find other places to do business. For too long, too many of America's greatest firms have publicly trumpeted their support for justice and human rights, even as they deepen the ties to the most powerful dictatorship on earth. The bill they are lobbying Congress to weaken would expose those ties to public pressure and force them to change. And that's all the more reason for Congress to tune out the lobbyist pleas and pass the legislation intact. An amazing example of people working together for a greater good that, of course, has been completely ignored by the mainstream media. Amazing. There is hope. There is hope for us. History will tell. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for man. Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yes, and it's time for Today in History. We haven't forgotten, even though if we don't have free speech, you know what? In a couple thousand years, when people listen to a podcast, say, what happened on this day in uh, 2020? Fuck all. Nothing. Because nothing happened because it was erased from history. They took down the statues. They took down the books. They closed the universities. They stopped all the speakers. And uh, everything was controlled by Google, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. So nothing. So that's why we need free and open speech. However, that hasn't happened just yet. And I'm not going to let it happen in my lifetime. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to 218 BC, the Second Punic War. On this day in history, in 218, the Battle of Trebia, where Hannibal, not Hannibal Lecter, but Hannibal's Carthaginian army heavily defeated Roman forces on Italian soil. In 1271, Kublai Khan, the Wrath of Khan, renamed his empire the Yuan, marking the start of the Yuan dynasty of China. Whoa. In 1642, a big day for bikey gangs. Big day. Bikey gangs in 1642? Yes, yes. Abel Tasman. Abel Tasman's expedition sails around Farewell Spit. Farewell Spit. And into Golden Bay, first sighting of local Maori in New Zealand, which is the first sighting of, of course, organized bikey gangs in the South Pacific. 1917. The 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution 
um, which really affected Rosie O'Donnell, the authorizing prohibition of alcohol is approved by the U.S. Congress and sent to the states for ratification. 1957, world's first full-scale nuclear power plant for only peacetime use begins to generate electricity at the Shipping Port Atomic Power Station in Pennsylvania. And you know what? Nuclear power is happy power. So tell the Greens, fuck off. Now, what about film and TV? There's politics and everything. I know it's impossible to avoid. December 18th, this day in film and TV, in 2009, Jim Cameron's Avatar, starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, and Sigourney Weaver, released in the U.S., becomes the highest-grossing film of all time. And also on this day... In 1892, Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky's ballet, Nutcracker Street, Nutcracker Street. They should have called it Nutcracker Street. Nutcracker Street, motherfucker! Nutcracker Sweet premiered. Oh, my, oh, my. Famous birthdays, Brad Pitt. Now, I have, uh, I have uh, a confession to make. Um, it's not a man crush on Brad Pitt. But I think that Brad Pitt is one of the coolest guys. I love his acting. I just think he looks amazing. And I've uh, always been a bit jealous. always been a bit jealous. Go, how come I didn't get to look like that? And my lovely wife has told me that I'm better looking than Brad Pitt. Yes, yeah, it's true. And yes, she was completely sober. And she said it on more than a few occasions when I've seen a picture of him and go, <gasps> sigh. But um, yes. I'm better looking than Brad Pitt. Suck on that, Brad, and all the rest of you. Other birthdays? Steven Spielberg, Joseph Stalin, Franz Ferdinand, the Archduke, not the band, and Billie Eilish. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And a famous divorce. In 1968, actor Peter Sellers, one of the funniest, most talented men of all time, divorced actress Britt Eklund after four years of marriage. And that is today in history! Well, we still got history. bitches yes we wouldn't have forgotten you and today we go out in space where it's always a problem with women and we're talking about spiders in space without gravity light becomes the key to orientation did you know humans and of course this amazing article from science news at the university of basel humans have taken spiders into space spiders more than once to study the importance of gravity to their web building. But the spider experiment by the U.S. space agency NASA is a lesson in the frustrating failures and happy accidents that sometimes lead to unexpected research findings. The question was relatively simple. On Earth, spiders build asymmetrical webs with the center displaced towards the upper edge. When resting, spiders sit with their head downwards, 
because they can move towards freshly caught prey, not the movie Prey, fantastic film, faster in the direction of gravity. But what about zero gravity? Well, back in 2008, NASA wanted to inspire middle schools in the U.S. with this experiment. And even though the question was simple, the planning and execution of the experiment in space was extremely challenging. This led to another number of mishaps. And you know why? You know why. Women in space. Backwards Hubble telescopes. Sally Ride. Blow up the spaceship. Uh, a, a litany of things that we've heard. But let's see if we can get past it. Two specimens from different spider species flew to the International Space Station as arachnauts. I love that. Arachnauts. One as the lead and the other as a reserve. The reserve spider managed to break out of its storage chamber and escaped into the main chamber, just like those salmon did last week in Tasmania. Free at last! The chamber couldn't be reopened to find the fighter for safety reasons, for the extra spider could not be recaptured. So the two spiders spun somewhat muddled webs, different, getting in each other's way. And if that were not enough, the flies, how can you fuck up this? How can you fuck this up? The flies included as food reproduced more quickly than expected. And over time, their larvae crawled out of the breeding chamber on the floor of the case into the experimental chamber. And after two weeks, completely covered large parts of the front window. After a month, the spiders could no longer be seen behind all the fly larvae. It's a buffet. This failure long nagged at Paula Cushing, of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, who participated in the planning of the spider experiment and who overseed it. Paula, we trusted you. You had one job. You fucked up. You fucked up. The plan was originally to use four female spiders. Well, I can tell you how that would have ended up. But another mishap occurred, and the spiders had to be chosen for the experiment as juveniles. And... Other than if you're Prince Andrew, it's extremely difficult to determine the sex of juveniles. In the course of the experiment, two of the... That was really good. That went over the heads of so many of you. Well, not so many of you, because I know that I have the smartest listeners, but that was really good. One more time. But another mishap occurred. The spiders had to be chosen for the experiment as juveniles, and it's extremely difficult to determine the sex of juveniles. Unless... You're Prince Andrew. Still don't get it? Okay. But finally, there was a stroke of luck. One of the males on board the space station, the other was on Earth. Anyway, they spun their webs, dismantled them, and checked everything out. But at the end of the day, what they found out of this whole thing, who would have guessed that light, let there be light, would play a role in orienting the spiders in space? Light. Because webs built on the space station were in lamplight, were completely asymmetrical, just like the terrestrial webs. Spiders have a backup system for orientation like this, and it seems surprising, since they've never been exposed to an environment without gravity in the course of their evolution. How would how would Paula know? Was she here when the aliens landed? At you know, Area 34, or whatever it's called, Area 51, whatever. On the other hand. She says, a spider's sense of position 
could become confused while it's building its web, and the organ responsible for this sense registers the relative position of the front of the body to the back through light. And the direction of the light was particularly useful. And that useful information for Arcanauts everywhere was today science bitches. Well, I've wanted to keep this podcast a bit brief, just like last week, before we launch into some bonus mega podcasts on Christmas next Friday, Thursday in Rest of World, and on New Year's in a fortnight. But uh, I won't, I won't miss out on a couple tiny tidbits. And those tiny tidbits are entertainment. We've got two things to run through quickly. First of all, I've got two words for you. Morning Wars. Morning Wars. I had studiously avoided the Apple Plus streaming show about uh, breakfast television, mostly because one of the advisors on the project is probably one of the worst journalists in the history of mankind, a would-be journalist from CNN. Um, but you know what? I got past that. And because I really like Reese Witherspoon, generally, and I really like Jennifer Aniston, who doesn't? Who doesn't like Jen? I got into it. And Steve Carell. And it is unbelievable. Now, I know a lot of you don't have Apple Plus, but if you have a Mac, it's free. And this show is free on Apple Plus. And I got to tell you, it's amazing. It starts off light. It kind of goes into Me Too. And then it gets into some really dark, pretty much heavy moral compass and moral turpitude territory that is amazing viewing. And not just because of Reese and Jennifer Aniston, but the astonishing, ever-surprising, totally evolving Steve Carell. Now, I don't think Steve Carell really gets a lot of credit, you know. Um, you know, shows like uh, Knocked Up and, you know, Get Smart and Despicable Me and Minions and 40-Year-Old Virgin and stuff like that. But, you know, going way back to Anchorman, The Legend of Ron uh, Burgundy and uh, Bruce Almighty. And, you know, he has just evolved. And in 2014, in Foxcatcher, when he played John DuPont, he should have won an Academy Award for that. The astonishing... Bennett Miller biographical sports drama, um, which was loosely based on the events surrounding the multimillionaire E.I. DuPont and uh, Channing Tatum as a, as a wrestler. Unbelievable film. But Steve Carell can do anything. Uh, and I think it's amazing that a lot of people that uh, start out as comics can really do drama and surprise us. Absolutely amazing role. So... Uh, there isn't one person in it that isn't amazing. And Billy Crudup as the uh, head of news entertainment. Oh, my God. What a role. What a role. You really got to give it four episodes. The first two episodes seem a, a bit predictable. Kind of just, you know, going over the old ground to get you in, um, get you acquainted with the characters. But, wow, stick with it. I think it's one of the best things I've seen 
in a long, long time. And the other bit of entertainment news is I feel bad for every actor, director, craftsman, whatever, uh, involved in Warner Brothers now as under cover of darkness, under cover of night, they committed highway robbery by simply agreeing to send pretty much their whole slate of new films to HBO Max and streaming um, so that they don't have to pay much back-end and uh, consideration to all the people involved in it. They didn't even discuss it. Christopher Nolan, the director, um, director of Tenant, Interstellar, uh, Batman, has gone ballistic on the Internet, uh, as have many other creatives. Um, and uh, we'll get into that next week, but I want to flag that, because that is... That's just filthy business. The world is changing. We don't know what we don't know what we don't know. It's not, There's nothing. Even gravity is unsure, especially if you're a spider. Gravity is unsure. But uh, we're just going to have to wear it. Yep, just going to have to wear it. Yes, and it is a bit of an ass-kicking outfit today because, like I said, when I got back from the gym, I felt a million bucks. So I threw on my jet black Alexander McQueen t-shirt with the melting skull. You know a lot about Alexander McQueen from previous podcasts, but there's a lot of people that do skulls. Philippe Pline, Vivian Westwood, um, but nobody does the melting skull like Alexander McQueen. Over a pair of Hackett shorts, beautiful old British label, very comfortable. And my favorite, favorite Prada sneakers, America's Cup edition. And you may know a lot about Prada, but you might not know that the 36th edition of the America's Cup, the oldest trophy in international sports and the pinnacle of sailing, welcomes Prada once again as naming and presenting sponsor. And the competition will be held in Auckland, New Zealand. And it started yesterday, the 17th of December. Runs for three days and then goes to the Prada Cup Challenger Series in January and then the final, the 36th America's Cup presented by Prada where the Defender Emirates Team New Zealand will compete against the winner of the Prada Cup in the 6th to the 15th of March, 2021. Folks, that's about all we have time for today, an hour of power. We will be back next week. Hanukkah is now over. Got eight nights of gifts from uh, my lovely wife, a Ferrari, a McLaren, a Porsche, um, a Lamborghini. No, actually, it was eight nights of little gifts. We exchanged little gifts for, for eight nights. Hanukkah is over for the year Festival of Lights. I hope there's a lot of light in your life. Keep that light shining. And Christmas is a week away. We'll be back with that amazing bonus Christmas show interview with superstar Tony Bonner. And we will have a New Year's show. And um, we might take a week off after that. I'm not sure, but we'll let you know. We'll let you know because we want to keep the hits coming. And we will update you on all things alcohol, food, politics, sex, uh, life itself, free speech. And... Um, whatever your moral hierarchy is. And what I've learned as we come to the close of the year is I used to think that my career was everything, and I do love my career, but I love love and love being loved. 
and love family. Wow, I don't love that sound. Don't love that sound. But that's the email saying, shut the fuck up and let these people get on with their lives. Have a fantastic week. And um, try and do something nice for somebody else. There's, uh, There's a lot of hate and division in the world. And try and do something nice for either a stranger or a friend. But, uh, you know, uncomfortable acts, random acts of kindness. And because you asked, because I love you so much, here's Crank in its entirety. Enjoy. See you next week.